Hello everyone, welcome to another awesome edition of Paper Mache Sparrows. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, today I had the wonderful privilege of interviewing slash chatting to my best friend Lena and we chatted a little bit about, well we chatted a little bit about special needs especially about um, ADHD, SPD, well you know attention, hyperactivity, deficit, uh, uh, what about disorder, I'm falling over my words, attention, deficit and hyperactivity disorder, there we go, and sensory processing disorder and we also chatted about her experience having a child that's on the spectrum, so her kiddo is now in preschool, uh, going forward they have chosen to homeschool, they are planning on homeschooling all throughout school and the same with me, uh, my daughter struggled with concentration when it came to school, I myself have been diagnosed as ADHD and we chat a little bit about um, sensory input, working on your own place and the time and then also doing things according to a way that works for your child, uh, what is de-schooling working according to your child's learning style and so on. So enjoy and remember to um, share this podcast if you think that it's helpful to anybody that you know and let us know what you think let us know if you have any input let us know if there's anything you want us to touch on and enjoy hi sis hey. hi thanks for joining it's working yes yes it's working right Awesome. Thanks for joining. Sorry, that took a while. <laughs> um, so today we wanted to chat a little bit about homeschooling and why homeschooling is the best uh, for, for special needs kiddies, right? Yeah. Um, so do you want to tell your story quickly or should I start off on a little summarized version of mine? Uh, well, you start. You've been at this longer than I have. <laughs> well, okay, so um, for those listening, what happened was in grade two, I'm going to try and condense this as I tend to talk a lot. Um, so in, my daughter was my eldest, was in school until grade two, end of grade two. And then we got all the classical, um, well, she came home in tears every afternoon. Uh, mommy, I can't focus in class. Mommy, I can't work. Mommy, I can't, um, like, I can't actually take any information in. So... I, we tried what we could to kind of allow her in a class situation to be able to learn and nothing worked and the teachers weren't accommodating and so on and so forth and she has what they would probably label her worth as ADHD and some uh, some SPD concerning food, sensory processing uh, issues when it comes to food and she can't sit still and focus on a boring task for very long. Uh, she's physically unable to do that, and she can't focus at all when there's noise around her. So she gets really overwhelmed and stuff. So we took her out of school, end of grade two, and we started homeschooling, and now we're seeing amazing, amazing results with her. And uh, that's, I think, the shortest um, I can I can make that. Uh, but. What if, because we've been at this now, she's in nine grade seven. So we've been at this for probably the past, yeah, for the past five years. And I would not ever put her back into a mainstream school, not after seeing the difference uh, in, in my child um, after starting homeschooling. But what's, what's, 
how did you come to decide on homeschooling? Because I know uh, your kid is still quite young. Um, yeah, well, my sister was homeschooled by my mom because my sister is dyslexic and also um, ADHD. Um, she has mm-hmm. actually been tested for it and all. So I watched um, how homeschooling really helped her, especially with not uh, a very strict curriculum because she got burnt out very easily and everything. And um, through all my years of watching that and actually learning about sort of styles of learning and how people learn, I realized I was sort of in one of the few groups of people who could actually learn very well in a school environment, like just Mm -hmm. sitting and listening to the teacher and stuff. Um, I was sort of that way inclined. Um, But then I definitely, I mean, I was already in high school and I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to homeschool my kids. Um, I saw all the benefits of um, um, private schooling at home compared to being in a mainstream school with so many kids in the class. Um, if, If you're academically inclined, you get ahead and you get bored. Um, or if you're not, if you're not on level with your class, then you get laughed at or teased, or even um, you get in trouble with the teachers. And mm. so, um, when I got married, I well before we got married, I told my husband that no, I want to homeschool, and he was totally cool with that. And um, yeah, so it was basically like seeing it in my system, and then I opened for pretty much seven years, I think it was. And two of the families were homeschool families and they definitely, I, I just saw the benefits even more. Um, and more even moving away from doing curriculums and more into sort of life schooling where you, you learn obviously your languages, your math, all of the, those sort of things, but then you follow the child's lead in what they want to learn. Yes, I sort of completely de-schooled myself, completely got the system out of my system, the school system. Yeah. And um, and then when my kid came along, I was definitely on that road as well. I still sort of wanted him to do a Cambridge, like a fancy, you know, um, matric equivalent and all of that sort of thing. But now um, watching him grow up and seeing, you know, what he's actually interested in, it's... Mm. Um, I'm more of a, no, I'm not going to make him do what makes me happy, what I would have liked to have done. I'm going to let him do what he wants to do. So if he doesn't even want to go to college or university, that's cool with me. If he wants to find a trade and do something with his hands for the rest of his life, that's absolutely cool with me. So basically our aim in homeschooling is to let him learn what's um what he's passionate about and let him follow that yeah and to actually be able to make a life out of that too because i think i think we're seeing a lot of back in the day it used to be you have to become a lawyer or a doctor or whatever to be successful and now we have people literally making millions of dollars playing online games uh it's not exactly the work situation that that we grew up or, you know, it's not the same work environment even that we grew up learning about. It's everything's changing and changing fast. Yes, it really is. Um, but now with the 
you brought up two topics. So I added to my list of stuff I want to discuss with you. <laughs> so de-schooling, de-schooling is really important, right? Um, I jumped right into it. I actually did the complete opposite of what I advise everyone to do. And I advise everyone, once you leave the school system, de-school yourself and your kids first. And I did the opposite. I took uh, BBC out. And that December, we spent literally recapping all the math she didn't know from kindergarten up until grade two. <laughs> so the poor kid wow. was so overwhelmed math during those December holidays that it's yeah, it's not even funny. I shouldn't have done that, but I didn't know better. Uh, <laughs> so how would you say? How would you? How would one de-school? Like, what do you do to de-school? Um, um, okay, well, I'll add my two cents in. Yeah, it was different for me because I didn't have a kid that I wanted to homeschool at that point in time. Um, I basically had to just sit down and think, you know, um, the school system works for a safe group of people. Uh, Sorry, we cut out a little bit there trying to reconnect. Um, Trying to reconnect. Can you hear? Can you hear? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Cool, we reconnected. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, so basically it was easier for me because I didn't have a kid that I wanted to homeschool at the time. It was just me. So mm-hmm. I had to basically think of, okay, how do I get the school, sort of the formal school learning out of my system? Because mm-hmm. that doesn't work for everybody. And it actually works for a minimum of people. Yeah. And, um, so it was just basically a case of doing a lot, a lot of research about homeschooling and methods mm. of homeschooling and how it's been done over all the years um so it was basically for me research okay because for me practically sorry yeah no but like in in what i have read when it comes to de-schooling kids if you're taking kids out of school it's more a case of give them this like huge break from any and all uh, academic mm. learning before you get yeah. them back into a curriculum that you want to follow Mm. so just having them be literally just yeah. leaving them to to be and you this in the same way just let go of those expectations of uh i need to keep up keep up with who i need to um you know get this done why do you need to get that done type of thing just get letting go of all those expectations of yourself too um because i was also I was homeschooled for uh, for um, my grade 10, 11, and 12 years. And my brother was homeschooled from primary school up until high school. And then he reintegrated with a public high school because he wanted to study IT. So um, I think I'm not entirely sure why my folks decided to put him back. And I think they didn't have the resources that they needed to, uh, you know, advance him in the, in the areas that he needed to be advanced in. But, he adapted perfectly fine and he went off to college and he's now working as an IT specialist. I'm not entirely sure what he does, but you know, it worked out well for him too. Um, learning styles, I just wanted to touch on quickly because for me specifically, I was also I was diagnosed ADHD when I was in primary school. Okay. And uh, they told my folks, put me on pills. I can't remember if it was written that they told him to put me on. And thankfully, my dad said no. And he just put me on Calmac to kind of help me chill out and yeah. gave me lots of trees to climb. <laughs> so, um, 
that that helped tremendously for me. But homeschooling for me was awesome because because I tend to my mind tends to wander a lot and easily, so I couldn't read through those dull, dreary, you know, thick, boring textbooks. Oh yeah, those textbooks. Yeah. The textbooks even oh. got me, and I was a reader. You didn't want to be someone over the head with, and they might yes. not recover. <laughs> yes, so well, I, I was in a, a, a um, all-girl Catholic private school, so my textbooks yeah. were insane. <laughs> I remember um, when I did when I did my um, matric, I went through Impact, which I don't recommend. Um, I don't. Yeah, I, I found it very frustrating because they just copied. I don't know if they still do it, but they used to copy like the graphics for the English textbooks. They used to copy directly from the Afrikaans textbooks. So in the English book, you had pictures with Afrikaans subtitles. So oh, great. <laughs> yeah, and um, no one's ever going to use like those. Afrikaans words for like very uniquely what what see No one's gonna ever no. use that at all. So it's pointless to learn. So what I used to do is because I'm a visual learner, I'm, I'm visual and fast kinesthetic, but I think I'm probably about seventy percent visual learner. So I went to the the um, you know the kitty section in the library with all the colorful short books, uh, like the inside the human body, that type of thing. Um, yeah. I, I took those out and that's how I taught myself biology. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I thought, well, well, if it works, then it works. It works, yeah. So learning styles, I think it's important to find your child's learning styles and work with what works for them. So, like, you might have an auditory learner and you might have a kinesthetic learner or you might have an auditory and a visual. So kind of, you know, um, find the learning style and work with what works for your child. Don't try and um, have them learn in the same way that somebody else learns. Because yes, exactly. um, it will never yeah, work. Because that's the other thing is about working at your own pace and working on your own time. Like uh, we're we're in the whole in the whole Ford model school system. We're taught that children need to be doing X, Y, Z at grade two level when they are this age, yes. um, which I think isn't right because some kids start reading really early, but they are a little bit. And back. Um, they they are advanced in some things, and they're air quotes behind on other things. And we push them, we keep them back on the things that they're advanced in, and we push them really hard on the things that they're not necessarily ready to learn. And it's important to let your kids kind of just do things in their own time, right? Yes, yes. Um, they, there's actually a term for that. It's called asynchronous learning. And yeah, it happens with most kids. And um, the system today, especially with the, the CAPS curriculum in the schools at the moment, they've got so much work. The workload is just so intense that they don't have the time to either give extra work to children who are advanced in certain areas or to help those who are behind. So they sort of try and get everyone on the same level. Yeah, which is kind of what they what's expected because all the kids need to be on the same level and you don't have in a big class, you don't have the time or the patience to work with the gifted kids and the ones that are unfortunately behind are left behind. They they just fall through the cracks. Yes, they do. Um, but it's also like when, when you're looking at day-to-day, -day, like if your child, and that's what I do with my own kids, is some days are just hard. Some days kids just struggle so 
the other day we had a day where a few of the kitties weren't um, feeling good. They weren't working well. So uh, I don't know, it was just an off day. So we ended up mostly reading living books under the tree outside. We put the picnic blanket out, we took the lunches outside, and uh, we lay under the trees and we read good books and the kids told stories so we used our story props and they told stories and we did a little bit of informal grammar and you know a little bit of mental math and so on but um that day I wasn't going to get any book work out of them so to try and push them but we have to do book work would have maybe caused damage yes yes Yeah, it's, it's, we need to respect the kids. That's one of the Charlotte Mason tenets, though, is children are born persons. And yes. I don't think we should forget that, like, in a sense of a child is, you know, they're a whole person, they are their own little person, and we need to respect that enough to allow them to be that person mm -hmm. and to try and work with them to grow into their full, you know, into their full potential to, to help them to become the person they're meant to be. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And we must also keep in mind that kids are human as well and they need those mental breaks that we need as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, because, uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, you know, I'm loving my journaling and stuff at the moment. I'm trying to get the kids to also do more of that, to, to just get their emotions and things out on paper. And yeah. we've got the sensory swing and we've got... Um, you know, I mean, you taught me a lot. I wanted to talk to you about specifically um, the the autism and how you kind of um, like coping strategies and things. Like, I know for my daughter specifically, because she gets overwhelmed so easily, I've told her, if you get overwhelmed, let me know, and then you can take a time in or time out or whatever you want to call it. We don't do the whole naughty corner thing, so she knows the time out means go outside, you can go sit in the sensory swing, you can go climb a tree and just be for five minutes or for ten minutes or however long you need and then come back and be able to function and work again or go for a jog or go for like a um, sensory deprivation, go sit in the room or something um, type yeah, thing just, cool. just to center yourself. Yes, it's great that you can do that. Um, it helps that she's a bit older and she can still she can already understand that concept of, okay, I need this. I need this break at the moment. And then you're aware of it so you can help her in that. Yeah. Um, now, with the little one, uh, he's also got lots of sensory issues and he gets yeah. extremely overstimulated quickly. So we have to have sort of like a calm environment. Um, where there's not too much going on it's the reason we don't have any screen time anymore because screen time yeah. just completely overstimulates him and, yeah. um, so like uh, because he's on the spectrum all of these things are sort of ramped up a lot and mm. so we have to take that into consideration but with his age he's not able to tell me look I need a break yeah. So yeah. it comes out in really bad behavior and these meltdowns and tantrums and things that we have to sit with. And then it's a case of mom and dad must stay calm too. We need to realize no, he's not just acting out, he's not being naughty, he needs something. Yeah, yeah. Um so basically coping strategies, um, it would be you have to figure out what your kid needs. 
because some yeah. kids sort of need extra uh, stimulation and some mm. need less stimulation. So you've basically got to figure out what they need themselves yeah. and then work with because another thing I think um, works pretty well for some kids, not for all, but for some kids, is like a um, like a weighted blanket. I remember my middle one, when she was little, she slept really badly, and I made her a, a, a weighted blanket, and it helped tremendously. And I see for some kids nowadays, they do, it looks almost like those, you know, those neck pillow things that you get on flights, uh, that yeah. the child can actually it's filled it's like a beanbag man that they can put yes. around their neck and it's like a weight on the shoulders which apparently also helps to center them i haven't tried it myself maybe i should yes there's actually quite a few ways of doing that you even get to like um weighted lap buddies they call it or you take a stuffed toy and then you take the stuffing out and you fill it with your little rice bag or whatever um oh, that's cool. or they can eat yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then they can even wear sort of like um, ankle weights and stuff. All that sort of thing helps. Oh, that's a pretty cool idea. Maybe I should give that a bash and see how it, how it um, works with the kiddies. Yeah. That's cool. Nice. And then, but then what, what can also help, like if you have a fidgeter, for example, who, who always wants to touch stuff and play with stuff while, while you're reading or whatever, you can yeah, do I'm that and then you can – yes – <laughs> I'm also one of those, weirdly enough. Um, and then you can put like um, little beads on or ribbons on or like um, there's a whole bunch of ideas actually on the net where you can just make your own sensory toys and then put them on their weighted little buddy and then they can fiddle with it while you're reading and not distract That's you. Nice idea. That's almost like a um, man, those toddler books, you know, those soft toy toddler books with the, like the clasps and thingies. It makes me kind of think of that. That's a cool idea. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's uh -huh. actually really so many ideas on the net. I mean, even for older kids who sit and fidget, there are like rings that they can make out of hardware things like um, nuts and bolts that you put on a mm -hmm. little, uh, like a key ring and then they can sit and just play with their ring or whatever. Well, that's really cool. Uh, but now, because the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is um, things that you specifically do with your kiddo, because we've started up the, this is now shameless plug, we've started up, me and me and my awesome bestie, Lena, have started the, the preschool club, which integrates a lot of these things, because I'm the artsy-fartsy one, and I do all the, you know, like the practical, messy stuff, like paper and um, the dough and the whatever. I'm, I'm good at finding like stuff like that. And she's really amazing at all the sensory and the tactile and the, you know, the stuff, the science behind all the stuff. She's really good at that. So um, if if you want to get all of these ideas and things, join the preschool club. You'll find it on um, spirohillacademy.wordpress.com under special areas under preschool club. You can find all the details there. So join us. Um, the what I wanted to talk to you about is the uh, things that you practically do with your kiddo. What do you do at home? Because I know you started doing OT at home too. Yes. Um, well, we mostly do OT at home because the, the expense of the going to therapy and things is quite ridiculous actually. And yeah. um, we're sort of on a, doing our own business sort of, of route now. So we don't have all the extra funds to pump into it and, um, so yeah, that's why I started looking into it. And I also, I wanted to know like how he works, how does he tick? What does he need? So, yeah. um, 
hours and hours and hours of research on the net, um, which started with um, him having these hectic sleep issues, waking every two hours and staying up for two hours. And so I wasn't, I wasn't coping. So like, what can I do for the sleeping? And what can I do for this toddler that's banging his head on the cupboards and the walls constantly? Mm. And why does he do that? And, and that's what led me to figuring out he's on the spectrum. So um, at first that was like this huge, you know, big deal because all you hear is these scary stories about autism and everything but uh, when you get down to it it's actually really just another label that they put on kids that are different that their brains work differently it's not it's not like a disease or anything (laughs) yeah yeah so um basically what we do is i sort of follow his lead with regards to things like sometimes he'll learn better sort of academically in the mornings where we can focus on our counting and our uh, adding and little sums and all of that sort of thing, or our learning alphabet or our, um, you know, basic, you know, the basic academics that you would do sort of for preschool. But sometimes you'll learn better in the afternoons. So I follow his lead um, to see when he's cranky. Then, like, if he's really cranky or whatever, then I'll get out some sensory stuff for him to play with. I'll get the Play-Doh out or the rice sensory tub or something just so he can get his hands busy and moving. Um, another thing that also really, really, really helps is what they call heavy work, which is basically get your kid to carry groceries for you or climb up ladders or stairs or climb a tree or push a wheelbarrow around or, you know, something that sort of uses muscles because that's also mm-hmm. actually very, very calming. Yeah, that's so, a- yeah, so you do that, get rid of all the excess energy and the sort of um, fidgetiness and then he's so much better able to concentrate on you know, the things I actually want him to do that day. Um, what do you ask you? What does a typical day look like? Okay, well, like I was saying, each day is different because it depends on his mood. Some days we don't do any like school things at all. He just wants to sit and read all day, or um, he'll go outside and he'll be in the sandpits for hours or in his little water tub thingy for hours. So because of his the differentness in how he learns and how he lives, basically, we have mm. to literally completely follow his lead. Yeah. So there is no such thing of, like, I can make schedules and rhythms and routines as much as I like, but yeah. there will be those days where it's never going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And you know, after you have enough grace with yourself to allow that. Yes, and that's very difficult for me because I'm like a born perfectionist. So (laughs) I had to sort of drop a lot of my issues when it comes to that with him. Yeah, yeah, he's he's taught me a lot of patience and how to sort of do enough and be good enough rather than perfect. Because with a kid with special needs, especially one on the spectrum, you're you're never going to find perfect. Perfection. Yeah. 
Um, I wanted to also ask you, like, what type of sensory things do you do with them? Because uh, you mentioned Play-Doh and you mentioned the, the water and the, the sand. Yes. What other things? Because um, I remember you were doing um, water painting. You were on the paving. You were doing water painting a while back, and I really still just need to do that with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, we do. Uh, we do all sorts of, yeah, we do all sorts of things. Um, we start this sort of tactile, which is more your um, fine motor skills sort of thing, mm-hmm. where uh, that's like sand or Play-Doh or sensory tubs or those little water bead thingies. Yeah, yeah. Water in it and it swells up, those things. Um, yes. All that sort of thing. He actually really struggled, um, even last year, where if he would touch up clay sand, he would immediately wipe his hands off. He didn't like those textures and things. So that's why yes. I integrated a whole bunch of different tactile things in his learning every day just to get uh-huh. him over that sensitivity. And now he walks flat foot on the grass and he doesn't wipe his wow. hands off if he's playing in the dirt. So the integration yeah. has definitely happened there. So just do lots of different things on a regular basis and kind of yes. phase it in slowly, right? Yes, like all different textures and things. Um, like And probably textures too, right? Cold and slippery and rough and... Yes, that actually comes into the next uh, category sort of thing because there's everyone speaks about our five senses, but there's actually eight senses. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you speak about hot and cold and that sort of thing, it's the um, interoception part of your body. That's what it's called. And mm-hmm. now what this is, is actually like everything that you feel inside. So um, your temperature, if you're hot or you're cold, or if you're hungry, or if you need the loo, which is also a big thing for kids on the spectrum, is they don't feel that sort of thing. So Uh then it comes um, teaching them, uh, textures also come into it, because you teach them sort of, this is soft, this is hard, or this is crinkly, or um, this is hot, you mustn't touch it, or this is cold. So you've got to teach them all of that, and then you also start teaching them sort of, um, hung, what hungry feels like and stuff because they don't feel it internally as easily. Okay. Yeah. So well, then, that's... like, if you want to do a cold thing, you can do like um, freeze a whole bunch of little toy dinosaurs or bugs or whatever in a big ice block, and mm. then you can give them something to break it up with. Okay. Like a little yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's um, a good idea. Then, then you, sorry? That's also a good idea. Yeah. Um, and then you get what you call your vestibular and prior perception senses. That's more to do with sort of gross motor skills. So um, mm. your vestibular and prior perception is basically sort of your sense of where your body is in space. Mm. So... If, it, if, if a kid's vestibular and prior perception senses aren't very strong, they're going to be very clumsy, they're going to have bad posture, all that sort of thing. So okay. then what you do to integrate that is like running, just outside stuff, climbing and running and jumping on a trampoline and um, being squashed. That's also a big thing that he, he needs on a daily basis. So what we've got mm. is like one 
exercise balls and he lies on the ground and I squash him with the ball. Push him. <laughs> and he absolutely loves it. And if he doesn't have his daily squashing, he will actually go around like and try and squash his pets. <laughs> but the most difficult thing is he's only recently learned to ask for the squashing. So I had to huh? sort of guess before or oh no, he's squashing his cat. Let me quickly <laughs> give him some squashes. Um, because like he needs that like heavy, heavy pressure on him to regulate him. So like okay. all that sort of thing, it's it's so necessary. Um, and another thing that we do daily, considering that sort of thing, is also what they call joint compressions. Um, it's quite, it's sort of, it's not really complicated. It's just better to go and watch sort of a video on how to do it, where you sort of take their elbow, for example, and then you hold their arm gently on either side of the elbow and then sort of compress or put together the joint. Okay. Sort of like a a heavy input, which is also very important. Okay. Yeah. So, like, like our. Sorry. Now, so all of this sounds really interesting. The thing is, we've spoken a little bit about it, but I love actually like how deep you've looked into all of these things because I'm learning a lot from you. There's a lot of stuff I didn't even know, and I've got a lot of ideas already on things that I want to try out on my own kids now. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing with me is when I when I start like if I find something out about myself or my kid or whatever, I sort of go and find out everything I can about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like a scientist at heart. I want to know how it works. I want to know why it works or why it doesn't work. Sure. So mm-hmm. yeah, that that's how I sort of find out like um, okay, which sense is he struggling with now? Like, he struggles a lot with auditory, like a lot of loud noises and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason why we have sort of a calm environment. And I heard you say your eldest also struggles with the loud noises. Yeah. She struggles yeah, when people so- talk loud. So if there's like a, if the computer's on and someone's talking and she needs to do math, there's no way she can do that because yeah. her, um, attention she can't with and then she'll turn into a crying puddly mess so uh, she normally puts into classical music when she does high functioning brain activities like mathematics she needs to she needs to fully focus on that so she drowns out all the other noises with with classical music yeah that's where like headphones would come in handy you even get noise cancelling headphones if it becomes a big problem yeah you yeah. said with the, with the um, noises yes yes um like for example today with i'm having a cleaning day because javi's taken him out today but um like i, I just can't vacuum in here he he ends up screaming because of the loud noises or um uh, if the next door neighbors work on their car and I don't know what they do back there. I think they're mechanics or something, but then there's a grinder going and all these heavy machines going. And then he just, he completely loses it or he screams or he cries or he starts slamming doors. He just can't handle that noise. And because he, he's still so young, he doesn't understand the whole regulation thing of it. So it's, it's really difficult because then he, he starts acting out because it's, it's either scaring him or it's hurting his ears or something, which you can't tell me yet. 
So it's a case mm-hmm. of I've got to stop what I'm doing and comfort him and show him, no, let's put your hands over your ears or um, go under the blankets or something. So for us, it's still very much a learning process. Mm. So I haven't found an answer yet, but you're, you're searching for, for ways to, to help. Yes, because um, with his communication, I mean, he's only really started talking properly this year. Um, mm-hmm. Being on the spectrum. Yeah, so. He's not um, how old? Hmm? He's not how old? He's as old as Absy, right? Yeah, yeah, he's five later this month. Okay. Yeah, so um, communication has previously been a big issue. And although he's already communicating so much better, still things like that, like um, how he's feeling either emotionally or physically, the communication isn't quite there yet. So um, it's just a case of teaching him how to communicate. Look, I feel uncomfortable now or I'm too hot or I'm too cold or um, this is hurting my ears because it's too loud. We're, we're not quite there yet. So it's sort of like a, I have to watch him closely and see, okay, his, his behavior is acting out. So why? Look around me. What's in my yeah. environment I'm bothering him? And then try and work according to that. So mm. while I'm trying to teach him the language to be able to discuss with me, these are my issues. It's still yeah. a lot of guesswork. Yeah. You know, that sounds that sounds rough, but I mean, even with with kids that won't be qualified or classified or whatever as special needs, like my middle one, um, I find sometimes she just starts screaming, and that's because she's emotionally overwhelmed because I don't know maybe one of the kids took one of her toys, or because her pet died, or because the bug that um, she was so carefully creating earlier that morning got eaten by a chicken, um, or you know, and then. I also need to go sit down and sometimes she'll actually come to me so I can hug it out with her and sometimes she'll scream at me. So I need to leave her for five minutes just to go do her own thing and then I can come in for that hug and, uh, you know, help her just calm. And But, but it's another, it's a case of I need to follow her lead. It's I can't force what I believe to be the right calming strategy for her on her. She needs to um, kind of show me what she needs. I think it's the same way with all kids, special needs or not. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, there's no manual for parenting. And you have two or three different kids and they're all going to um, handle things differently and handle the exact same situation completely differently. So it's basically uh-huh. a case just of learning them and see uh-huh. what they need. Um, a big thing with a meltdown, if it's especially like a sensory meltdown, is hugs, you know, sort of don't work because... When they have a sensory meltdown. Sorry, cut out. Just repeat again with a meltdown. Sorry, I think I've missed about 30 seconds of you. (laughs) Okay, so no, I said the biggest thing with a meltdown, especially a sensory meltdown, is in that time period, their personal bubble sort of gets bigger. And then Mm -hmm. if you sort of try and come into that space they're trying to protect themselves and then they could like in my little one's case he gets aggressive sometimes so you've sort of got to give them that space as well Mm -hmm. and not force yourself on them and you know force a hug or whatever you think they need at that time 
Yes, definitely not. We went through this big phase at the end of last year where like he was really um, overwhelmed with a lot of things. And I think his OT, his occupational therapist, where he was, was sort of pushing him a little bit too hard. So he was having these extreme, extreme meltdowns and we would try and calm him down how we would like to be calmed down. Like, oh, let's give you a hug or let's pick you Uh up or and as soon as you come too close or you try and touch him, then he like tries to hit you or something because mm-hmm. now he feels threatened. You're going yeah. into his personal space and he's already feeling threatened. So it's better just to sort of keep your distance until they ask for that hug. Yeah. And just make sure they're safe in the meantime because uh, like my little one, when she storms off, when she has one of these moments, then I just make sure she's inside my yard because I have we have the smaller yard on on the bigger plot, so I just make sure that my gate is closed that she doesn't have access to the outside big area where she could potentially uh, you know get into trouble. So I just make sure she has a safe area in which she can calm down. Uh, which again oh, yes, we have like uh, you know you guys have the sand pit and uh, so just make sure the kids can't fall into the pool or you know anything like that. But then just leave them be. Yeah, um, with with my little one, it was also then more difficult because uh, something to do with being on the spectrum, it happens with some kids I've researched. He would actually go and look for ways to hurt himself. Yeah. So then you've sort of got to be close enough to prevent him causing himself damage or from hurting mm-hmm. anyone else that might be there, but then also give that space. And so it started becoming a juggling act at one point. But um, yeah. Yeah, at least those, those extreme meltdowns are no, now a thing of the past. Yeah, but I think another thing, and like I think we can do a whole episode on its own on just the topic of sugar, but I found like at one stage I was using, like a really bad mum, I was using ice cream as a incentive for like, if you're a good girl, you're going to have ice cream. And uh, because I also had it, like it was in the house. And then I found that the meltdowns were a lot worse when she was, when my middle one especially was on the ice creams. So now we've taken that completely away. We have sugar maybe once a week when we, sometimes once a week, when we have the, we sometimes bake and then it might entail like baking a cake using sugar. You can obviously use better alternatives. Um, but I think just limiting stuff like sugary drinks and um, sugary eats and, uh, you know, processed carbs like white bread and, colorants and all of that stuff because it also any normal kid can turn into a complete mess if they get an overload of you know an overload of that type of thing yes no that's very true um you have to look at eating things because like with mine he's got a sort of a dairy intolerance and the the dairy actually causes sort of tummy pains or sinus and earache and that wow. also makes his mood just completely deteriorate. So you've definitely got to look into food concerns. Yeah. So, but I think I think that's actually something we need to touch on next time. I'm going to have Lena on a lot. Uh, I'm making a note. We need to chat about food <laughs> because um, yeah, you you have a lot of a lot of ideas and things when it comes to food that I can learn from uh, too. But I think I think we can pretty much wrap up. Is there anything? Because my little one's starting to unpack my uh, stationary drawer now. <laughs> uh, 
Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add quickly or that you wanted to touch on? It's such a huge topic. You know, um, I have literally files and files and books and hours of research on, on all of this sort of thing. And um, so sort of we can go into detail on anything really if it's requested. Basically. Yeah. Okay. So I think let's put it out there. If anyone listening to this has special requests concerning um, special needs with kids and what specifically uh, you need help with, let us know, and we'll we'll try and do a episode on that. And we'll also chat and see things that we kind of missed, and we'll do another follow up on that. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, I think we've covered quite a quite a bulk of things. Thank you so much for, for taking this time. Thanks for, I, I believe, like in the end, if we help one person, then I think it's worth it. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's my aim is just to sort of share my knowledge and be able to help people out because I felt so stuck before. I didn't know what to do. I felt basically useless with my own child, and that was the main reason why I started my research. So if we can yeah. have one person, awesome. Yeah, exactly. Knowledge is power. Yeah. Thanks, sis. We'll chat again soon. Cool. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye.